everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday session of the Neighbors Church podcast and our ongoing conversations on ideas, topics, questions, the things that we're tossing about in our daily walks and talks that we do together, that we do with our staff, that we do together with our family. And today is a follow-up from this last Sunday's teaching uh, for our church community. We have begun a new series right in the middle of John chapter 15 called The Art of Abiding. And we're turning a contemplative lens upon our community to just really seek the face of Jesus through the summer in a, a, a posture of rest and receiving as we prepare for the fall to, to come to harvest and be fruitful, all these seasonal things. And so I want to encourage you to go back, listen to that teaching. You'll get a lot more details. This is a, a kind of a concrete follow-up. Uh, how does this apply to our lives? And before I introduce our topic, um, I must say, this particular meditation that I have been in now for a number of months uh, has become sweet honey to my soul. It really is a balm to the one who is war-torn, weary, and worn out uh, by the pursuit of identity based on platform or fame or being known or being seen. Our topic for today is the practice or the discipline of secrecy. The Secret Life, not The Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> but You actually loved that movie. <laughs> I, One of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, the Hidden Life, mm -hmm. The Unseen Life. And so just by way of quick review, if you didn't listen into last Sunday's teaching, this principle or this practice of secrecy is rooted in Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount has a very definitive structure to it. Uh, it's a very sophisticated piece of literature, and the way that Matthew compiles his material has lessons hidden within it. And so the first section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus opens with the Beatitudes, and then he calls his communities to be salt and light in the world. And that salt and light spreads through the world by the way that we as his followers understand anger that leads to murder. Lust, that is actually the same as adultery. Things like vows and commitments, the very difficult teachings. Salt and light comes by our love for our enemy, giving to those who take from us, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. All of these cultural colloquialisms that have lost their effect, but in the church are being renewed. Uh, the life of enemy love that Jesus gave to us to be light in the world, to salt the decay in this world. Now, the second section, Jesus addresses some spiritual practices that are common really to all religious traditions, generosity or charity, prayer, and fasting. But he emphasizes something in this section. He opens it and bookends it with a very specific way of giving, praying, and fasting. Mm -hmm. He says... Do these things secretly. When you give, give in such a way that only your father sees, no one else sees. When you pray, go into your room, lock the door where no one else sees, but your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, don't make your face look all gloomy. Uh, put a smile on your face so that no one knows 
that you are serving the Lord in a fasted state, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so there's a principle of secrecy, a hidden way of serving God, wherein we are seeking God's attention and living out of his applause for us, and no one else knows it. And this, this life of secrecy, it, it creates um, so many beautiful things. Yeah, so there's really this balance in the Sermon on the Mount that we see. There's this action piece of being seen, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Which hide then, it under a bushel? Yes, no. no, we do not want to hide our light under a bushel. And then it's like we move over to these secret things, these ways that we're acknowledging God in our everyday life where no one sees it, no one sees the work that's taking place. Um, and those types of things, it's like this continual dance that we have in our walks with the yeah. Lord. It's like a pendulum <clears throat> swinging, or it's also like a posture of heart. Even mm-hmm. the things that are seen are done not to be seen. Yeah. They're done from a, a place of being seen by the Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dallas Willard uh, writes really well on this, and he says, one of the greatest fallacies of our faith, and actually one of the greatest acts of unbelief, is the thought that our spiritual acts and virtues need to be advertised to be known. The frantic efforts of religious peoples and groups to advertise and certify themselves is a stunning revelation of their lack of substance and faith. Secrecy, secrecy rightly practiced enables us to place our public relations department entirely in the hands of God, who lit our candles so we could be the light of the world, not so we could hide under a bushel. We allow him to decide when our deeds will be known and when our light will be noticed. Secrecy at its best teaches love and humility before God and others. So really what Dallas Willard is saying is that secrecy requires faith in God, a trust that he sees what we're doing and that he'll reward it, but also that he'll let those things be seen in the way they need to be seen and in a way that will glorify him. And so there's trust in God that with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's important that we do emphasize because Christians always kind of like, I don't know if we feel bad about this or something mm. and we want to skirt around it, but we want to emphasize the fact that Jesus does want us to be motivated by reward. Like the things that we're doing in secret that no one is ever going to see, that's never going to be platformed, that's never going to be advertised. He wants us to know there's reward for those things and it's good to seek after those things. Mm-hmm. I love Willard's line, the frantic efforts of religious peoples and groups to advertise and certify themselves. Mm. You know, when we really boil down, when we really distill down to the guts, like the root of some of our anxiety, it is because we are trying to certify ourselves. We're Mm. trying to give ourselves some sense of value and worth in the world. And it makes us absolutely uh, frantic. And I think in the Western church, and I talked much about this Sunday in detail, we have lost the practice of secrecy entirely. We have really been polluted by celebrity culture. Um, we have been polluted by church as a business model and entertainment and fame and platform. You know, our family, the Christian family, has a long history of secrecy. I'm just thinking back to 
all the years before social media, before internet, all of that, you know, like the way back archaic days where no churches actually knew about what another church was doing, <laughs> except for if you were in relationship, like as a pastor, if you were in relationship with a person and, you know, another pastor in a different mm-hmm. state or whatever, you might hear about what they're doing and encourage one another. But all of that was done via relationship or, of course, like through writing of books, that kind of thing. I was going to say. there, But it's crazy because now even, and Neighbors has an Instagram, like there's nothing wrong with those things, but it is crazy how much even within our churches, there's a constant seeing of what other people are doing. And it does create kind of that frenetic pace of like, oh man, we, we have to certify what we're doing um, yes. because other churches are doing it. We, we have to like yes. validate what we're doing and that our work is purposeful. Yeah. We have to certify ourselves. You know, the, uh, in the history of the church, and let's, I think we'd be remiss not to address this. God always establishes in every generation of the church, what mm-hmm. I consider to be macro or high level 200,000 foot level voices in leadership. I mean, you go back to the first century and you have the church fathers and they were authors. There's Christostom and there's Augustine. These are the the giants who God appointed. Um, And all the way through uh, the, the reformers, the John Calvin's and the Luther's, the church planters like Wesley, those are macro level leaders. And then there's the smaller names underneath them, the Zwingli's and, you know, church history nerds only know those names, right? But there's always these appointed names. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers our history has ever known. What's new about the environment the church exists in today is exactly what my wife was talking about. We are constantly exposed to platform. And so everybody now suddenly believes the myth that for our work to be valuable, we need to be the Spurgeons, the Calvins, the Christostoms, the Augustines. And that wears a soul out. Schizero says, live within your limits. <laughs> there is a limitation to our giftings, to our faith, to, to the roles and responsibilities that we actually are accountable to God for. And this new environment of technological awareness and platform, it is, if not gotten a hold of quickly, devastating to the soul. And so there is a there is a long-standing history, friends, mm-hmm. of the practice of secrecy within the communities of faith. Yeah. And you know, even just to reiterate, there is with so, you know, with social platform and all that kind of stuff, um, I would say that even those who are writing books, there was more, um, and you know, earlier in time, there was like Dallas Willard was saying, it, mm. trusting that God would bring those things out into the light. Where now it's like using mm. hashtags and all these things, like so much we can formulate on our own There's to an, get the attention. Whereas, like for these people, yeah. You know, these authors, these pastors early on, they were writing specifically for their church, and much of it was entirely in the hands of God, lighting that candle and saying, yep. this is actually going to be used for the church global, you know, that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Doubt, again, Willard says, secrecy rightly practiced enables us to place our public relations department entirely in the hands of God. And I don't want to spend too much more time because obviously Alexis and I are, you know, professional church people. We're paid to be in the church. We do what we do. Uh, so this is a big deal for us. Maybe it's parting the curtain on 
conversations that we have that really apply to us. <laughs> but there are entire cottage industries now based on the right hashtags to get your platform out there. And so I think this, this return to, or at least an awareness of this long-standing tradition of secrecy, particularly beginning with the monastic uh, fathers and mothers, the desert fathers and mothers, despite all the weirdness that they got into out there in the desert, they were doing some certain things that they've passed on to us that I think are being renewed in today's church. Mm-hmm. They fled the cities. They fled celebrity. They fled platform. Uh, the monks of those desert days would often talk about how uh, solitude and uh, what they lived in these little desert cells. They literally called them cells. And the cell for them became the sacred secret place where they walked with their God. And, you know, I, I do wonder if the words of Jesus might be a corrective for us in our modern cultural moment as Christians. The Pharisees of his day who opposed him so vehemently, they had made public praise and public platform a root of their identity. And Jesus rebuffed them saying in John chapter 5, verse 44, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You know, in this day and age where the tides, the cultural tides are turning and they're turning quickly. The anemia that seeking glory from humans within the church has created, it, it, it's being purified. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is going to, it's at least where we were in Seattle, especially. If you were a Christian, you were either a Christian or a Christian, not because it gained you any place in society, not because it made you popular, but because you sought the glory that came from the only God. And we're seeing that across the nation right now in urban hubs and then spreading out to the rural areas of the United States, if we're going to be Christians, it won't be because it gets us movement forward in mm-hmm. society. It won't be because um, it gives us glory from humans. We are being called once again to seek only the glory that comes from God because at the end of the day, I think Jesus gave us the principle of secrecy uh, for, for intimacy, Mm-hmm. That's what this whole Christian thing is about, friends. Intimate union with our triune God and drawing our life and our joy, our wisdom and our sense of value from walking in the garden again with our God. Secrecy creates that context for real intimacy with God. You know, going back to that whole idea of our Father rewarding us in this life, the reward that we get in those secret places, in living the hidden life, is God's presence. Um, mm. I can think of so many times with our kids where, you know, especially with Dan, they would be, you know, because I'd be home with them during the day and daddy would come home from being gone and they would just be going crazy and they'd be ecstatic that he was home and they would want to show him the things that they had done throughout the day or they'd want to, you know, jump on the trampoline and show him like their tricks that they would do, their little flips and stuff. And the cry that you'd hear from them would be, daddy, watch me, daddy, watch me. Just this sense of like, until Dan looked at them and like sat and observed what they were doing, they were um, nonstop with the refrain, yeah. daddy, watch me, daddy, watch me. And as long as Dan was seeing them, they were so happy. It doesn't change 
even as they get older, my kids are all teenagers and um, my daughter is now technically an adult. She's 18. And yet she still has this, hey, dad, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. Hey, mom, what do you think? She's asking for that parental sense of being seen. My boy, uh, Nyla, my girl, my middle girl, she's, she's an artiste of artistes. And she takes no more delight than just showing her parents her newest little creation and us delighting in it. She mm -hmm. wants to be seen. And my boy, everything with my son, <laughs> you know, we'll be out surfing and I'm trying to tell him, you know, you got to keep your eyes forward where your eyes goes, where the surfboard goes. But every time Joby catches a wave, I can see him like kind of looking back over the break, trying to see if dad's watching him. Right. And then he totally yard sales, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Here's what Dale Bruner writes about. Our reward is really intimacy with the father. Our reward is the father's closeness. Bruner is um, probably one of the most important commentators in the gospel of Matthew. He says, this is the meaning of Jesus's word rewards. The word posits a living, reciprocal, mutual relation between father and child. Mm -hmm. And pre precisely because the relation is between father and child, a father's reward to his child is the father's greater closeness. You know, children don't need to certify themselves nor advertise themselves. The cry of a child's heart is, daddy, watch me. And secrecy, friends, secrecy is is the place where we learn once again to see ourselves being seen by the Father. It's actually a prayer that I've been praying for a number of years now. Father, help me to see you seeing me right now while I pray. So we want to turn a corner here. It's plenty of review, plenty of setting the stage. And we just want to talk concretely. What are some concrete things that secrecy is, that secrecy does? What are some concrete places that um, we live this secret life before God? One of the biggest, um, <clears throat> most potent areas of our life where uh, it's secret, it's hidden, is prayer. Mm. And it's mm. honestly one of the most effective works that we can do in our lives. Um, but sadly, we diminish it. We don't see um, the power of it. And I think part of why we don't is because we, um, because it is done in secret, because it is quiet, because it is hidden, it's hard to stay regular and consistent with it because we want the flashy. We want um, things to be seen. We want to feel like things are moving forward rapidly. And with prayer, there isn't a rapidness to it. There's a lot of waiting and listening and surrendering and trusting. And so when we don't get the tangible answers immediately, that can feel discouraging. And mm -hmm. so prayer is one of the most effective works we can do our, in our lives, but it's done in secret. Yes. And prayer is not about performance. Mm -hmm. Prayer is about presence. Prayer is about presence, not performance. And we have engineered in our mind that prayer is something that we perform and prayer is something that we hit on our checklist because we have to perform well. And we make prayer this platform upon which we stand to be seen and to be heard and to be righteous and to be right. But prayer is about first and foremost, resting in and receiving, walking in the fact that God is present right now, whether you feel him or not. He's present in the middle of this podcast right now as you're listening to this. He is holy 
and completely devoted to you. And prayer is simply about coming into that reality, laboring to bring our soul into alignment with it without any performance. Mm -hmm. Prayer is about learning to see God seeing us. And that becomes reward enough for us, whether God answers our prayers or not. Like my wife said, I know for myself, so much discouragement comes in my prayer because it seems that I don't see any outward effect. But it may be that God, in not answering those prayers, is training me once again to return to that childlike place of, Daddy, watch this, I'm praying, and sensing him or seeing him, seeing me as I pray. As well, you know, for those of us who are praying specifically for specific things, um, and no one knows about those things, no one hears you announcing it or sees you announcing it on Instagram. Um, you just have maybe some things that you're praying about specifically. And maybe it's years before you see the answer Decades. to that. Or maybe it's not in your lifetime mm. that you see the answer to that prayer, but it's in you know, the lifespan of your grandchildren. Mm. The fact is you're pounding on, you know, the gates of heaven and, you know, seeking the Lord that work is happening in you, but it is also having effect and kingdom impact in your generation or in the generations that follow thereafter. And so it is done in secret and it is very much, um, there's no glam in it. There's no glory for, you know, for you in the prayer, but man, the fact that our prayers can actually change things, our prayers do have effect. We just can't diminish that. And again, the words of Jesus, how can you believe if you receive glory from men uh, instead of seeking the glory that comes from God? This, this deep-rooted belief that there is a great weight of glory being granted and created and given to the soul who gives themselves to prayer, continual, unceasing, secret, hidden prayer. I'm actually very curious right now, wondering if when we arrive there in our uh, heavenly eternal abode and we're looking at the rewards being doled out, however that's going to take place in the kingdom come, if there's going to be these front row seats of these unknown little grandmothers that spent seven decades praying for their grandchildren and there they will be with these heavy-weighted crowns loaded with <laughs> diadems and we, the great public ministers of the gospel, We'll have crowns, but our diadems will be a tad bit lighter because we received our reward. We were applauded by the people who watched and saw our work. But for the faithful, may you today find encouragement to seek the reward of your Father and to pray earnestly in the secret places. Now, there are, there are, there are definitely life stages that lend themselves to secrecy. Each life stage mm -hmm. actually lends itself to secrecy from birth to death. Let's talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for singles, uh, really, you know, Paul would argue and just flat out say singles are afforded real opportunity for this deep secret intimacy with God. Yeah. You don't have the distraction of, you know, a spouse that's demanding and, you know, am I demanding? <laughs> am I, I think I might be demanding. You might, you might be demanding. <laughs> Do I, I, I do want to say right off the bat, like, I know this is two married people talking about singles and what you're being afforded. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, each of us, again, have different life, life stages. And I'm sure a single person would more um, better articulate what we're talking about. But it is important to note that Paul does say that there is this secret intimacy with God that can happen as a single person. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the distraction of trying to impress anyone, having to please anyone, meet someone's demands. Um, and so, you know, it's hard, but there is this healthy theology of singleness and really at its epicenter is um, secrecy. Yeah. There's a hiddenness in it. Yeah. And we recognize the challenge in that. I can feel the challenge in it as even as we're talking about this particular bullet point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge, because you feel isolated mm-hmm. and you feel alone. And what we learned from the monastics was that they they learned to embrace that sense of solitude as a gift. Um, so counterintuitive. And I think, yes, as a married man, I have no right to declare uh, these things in your life because I'm not living them. But I can cue in on Jesus and I can cue from St. Paul and from uh, the writings of of the monks that have handed us these traditions, that there is infinite value in your singleness right now mm-hmm. and opportunity and opportunity to develop diadems in the crown, generational possibility, generational diadems in the crown. I have a good friend who's single and I have seen her practice um, this pressing in to solitude and to silence yes. and secrecy in such a beautiful way. Um, honestly, she's an example to me in so many areas of just learning to observe and behold God um, through art and through a walk and through relationships. And yes, I know that singleness isn't what she wants the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's times where, um, you know, it's hard for her. And one time I sent her this prayer on um eating a meal alone. And it's this liturgy for eating a meal alone. And I sent her this prayer and, and she told me, oh, you know, like she was so moved by it, but it, it was hard. And, but I still see in my friend, just this pressing in to these secret moments with her father. And she is such an example to me. Yeah. One final thing on the singleness piece. There is a, there's a word that I think um, you might consider with your life and this this idea of secrecy, and it's the word uh, gravitas, gravitas. So our culture values platform, organizational skill, communication, acumen, uh, charisma, uh, I don't know, suaveness is the mind, <laughs> this word that's come to my Suave. mind. Suave. Uh, in other words, we, we value these things that are measurable, but if you've ever been around somebody who's really developed a secret life, and I'm, I'm speaking this directly to singles. In fact, I'm thinking of Alexis's friend, and she's a dear friend of mine as well, beautiful sister in our church, and other friends of mine that um, are committed to singleness uh, and have made singleness uh, part of their calling in life. There is a, there is a gravitas mm-hmm. about their life. In other words... You're not impressed when you get around these folks with gravitas. You get around them. You, you don't walk away saying, goodness, what a phenomenal communicator. What a wise strategic leader. Um, there's a, there's a, a gra- there's just, you walk away saying, there is a weightiness to that soul, a gravity that they are held by and a gravity that pulls me into their sphere. And so for you, uh, our dear single friend, we know the struggle. 
we cry with you in the moments of loneliness and longing for a spouse or a family. And God, we pray, will grant you those things in time. And if not, make this this goal of gravitas be your center. Mm -hmm. In the secret place, let the gravity of God hold you down tightly and thicken you. And then let that gravity draw others into your sphere where uh, the secret life in the mustard seed way plants seeds that bring kingdom transformation. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of us will be single all of our lives. A lot of us are going to get married and a lot of us are going to become parents. And parenting particularly serves uh, the purpose of secrecy well. In uh, Ronald Rollheiser's book, Domestic Monastery, he talks about how um, all how all monasteries have this bell. And the bell is used um, whenever it's rang. All the monks know that they're supposed to drop whatever they're doing and go immediately um, to the particular activity that they're being called to. So that might be a prayer or a meal, work, study, sleep, whatever. But they all knew that the bell was summoning them to something. And... The big, the big idea with that bell, too, is that you are to respond, they are to respond immediately. And so in this little chapter in Domestic Monastery, Ronald Rollheiser goes on to talk about how um, parents don't have to go away to some monastery to uh, have that immediate response to the bell, that really the kids in some way kind of become the bell. So <laughs> you wake up to the bell of your kids. Super annoying bell. I think of think of what Matt Escobar talked about in his teaching a couple of weeks ago with little Tegan in her crib saying, Mommy, Daddy, you know, in the morning, like, come get me. And they they wake to that. And as parents, we have the demands of our kids throughout the day. And I would say not even little kids as teenagers, you know, there's the demands that late at night, parents, you're wanting to go to bed. And your teenager wants to talk to you about some life things. And there's there's a giving there. There's that immediate response that's needed, that immediate being available that's needed. And all of these things, again, are happening in hidden places, in secret places. Yeah, I think um, our go get em, upwardly mobile, climb the ladder culture has no place for uh, mom at 2 o'clock in the morning trying to comfort her colicky baby as valuable. It just, our culture doesn't see that or or desire that, but Jesus does and the father does. Mm -hmm. The secret moments that parenting creates where you are at home alone with this thankless little piece of flesh that just demands and demands and demands requires over and over and over a non-earthly rewarding work of giving of self of serving, of sacrificing, of dying for another human without that human even knowing that that is the deepest expression of love. Mm-hmm. And so secrecy and parenting go hand in hand. There's something that Lex and I were talking about earlier, and I, I thought this was a really a really profound point that she made. So again, we try not to, but I know we sound like we do. We, we tend to kind of harp on social media. I think that we just don't understand the effect of how keeping our souls out on a platform constantly are, are deforming and malforming our souls. But uh, our kids, these children and these babies that are about to be born in our community, we've got little baby bellies popping up all over in neighbor's church. They, they're the first generation that 
all of their experience, all of their awareness is being framed by a public display of their lives from the very beginning, mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Oh man, <laughs> I'm just thinking back to like Alexis as like a 10, 11, 12 year old, um, like in my ballet dance uniform and my teeth getting situated, like <laughs> still have like kind of, you know, snaggle tooth, like big tooth growing in here and a baby tooth there. And it's just like, I would not want uh, any of those pictures on Instagram. And see, this is why we're different. I've always, <laughs> I, I, when I was a kid, I would have been like, yeah, take my picture, take my picture. And that's not good either. I mean, that's just full confession to you guys. But and you that's know, embarrassing. I just said that out loud. <laughs> but there is this discerning um, as parents and, and, you know, for all of us, I think, you know, we're kind of turning a corner here, but it's discerning how much of our lives do we want to put on display for others? And more importantly, asking ourselves the question, why does everyone else actually need to know? Yeah. Um, why do, why do we need to curate and present to the world a life to them? Mm-hmm. Why must we be seen? You know, in some ways, it doesn't it doesn't actually leave room for the soul to have quiet and to embrace slow growth. Um, that's never seen. And, you know, going back to me saying, I wouldn't want my pictures as like 10, 11, 12 year old Alexis put up. And I just think of so many kids, you know, that you see on Instagram where it's like they're not given the space to go through their awkward stage and not have everyone just see it. Instagram babies with drip. That's like a legit site. That is, it's not like, there's like several, I don't know if it's a site, but like there's several Instagrams with like babies with drip, which we actually had to have Shua define for us like what's drip even mean because we're old now. <laughs> but we actually do know what drip means. And there's babies on Instagram that can have with drip, drip. With drip, guys. And they know how to pose already at age two, which uh, they've been trained how to externally present themselves to a world without any secret intimacy. Mm-hmm. Their value from the very beginning is based on how well they compose for mommy and the Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. Again, we love to post the delight we have in our children. We love to post about our lives and the good things God's doing. But I do think we must give ourselves pause and we need to ask ourselves, okay, why? From whom am I seeking glory? And also, how am I training this little soul? Does this little soul know that its value is first and foremost in a secret and hidden place that whether the selfies are liked or not, whether the kid has a meltdown for the Instagram feed or not, no matter what, there is this secret intimacy for that soul in which that little soul can grow and be tended to and nurtured versus from the very beginning being so externally focused. Uh, I, I really think that my wife and I are addressing something important here. I can I can feel gravity in this particular section of this conversation. And I think we'll develop it further. We always have more conversations after these. But consider that if you have a baby or you're a new parent, consider, am I creating secret space for my child to know intimacy and love and development that's not constantly externally focused? Mm-hmm. Let's shift gears here and even talk about concrete ways that, you know, so many of us work the nine to five job. You know, we feel probably at times in those jobs, like, is this really having any any effect or purpose? Is this crunching numbers and accounting numbers for someone really having any kingdom value or purpose? 
that's where we want to remind you of the hidden life in working for the glory of God in your nine to five job. We can't diminish the power of of what you're doing in those hours. Mm-hmm. All of it is cultivating creation and it's creating good in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul was very clear about this. In First Thessalonians chapter four, he commanded his communities. He said, we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. How counterintuitive is that? <laughs> Paul literally said, hey, learn to lead a quiet life. That's a good thing. And he went on to say, you should mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. There is a there is a nobility in getting up and going to the grind, doing it quietly with a secret intimacy with God that in those unseen places from the commute there to the commute home and all the eight hours in between, you are communing with your father, practicing his presence, leading that quiet life. And there is something supernatural and and attractive about that life Mm -hmm. that draws the attention of the onlooker. It draws the respect of outsiders. That was something I was going to highlight is just the value of your faith and walk um, that's displayed in those work hours with those work hours with your coworkers and how they interact with you, the presence that you bring in the workplace, uh, value those things. There's value in that. And so I want to encourage you, the person who's going to school or, you know, accounting numbers or whatever you're doing in your workplace um, and, you know, cultivating throughout the day. Don't diminish the fact that there's people who watch your life and they Mm -hmm. see you and you can be that non-anxious presence. Yeah. I'd add a quick little sub bullet point for our pastor and missionary friends that, that, you know, we're in relationship with that key in on this conversational podcast. Dear friend, I'm telling you, (laughs) secrecy is the greatest encouragement to those long days of when you feel so lonely and like there's no results and you're unseen and you feel underappreciated and just worn out. This secrecy, if ministry and church is your vocation, secrecy is the secret sauce. It is, it's like a secret sauce to, I'm going to keep going, keep plowing, head down, hands to the plow. So we've worked from singleness and marriage. We've talked about babies and children. We've talked about our daily vocations and secrecy being a means of those. And here's where we want to close. And it's sobering. Friends, at the end of our lives, um, we're going to die secretly Mm. in the hospital rooms around those beds. Nobody's Instagramming that. You die with those that you were closest to, and you die in a secret space where truly only the glory of the Father will raise you from the dead. I was once again struck over these past weeks, uh, Alexis's grandmother passed over the Good Friday Easter weekend this year. And she passed around, what, 4.30 in the morning or something? Yeah, 4.12. And the only people in that room were her three children, Kim and Karen and Eric. And there is something very sacred about the secret death of the saints. 
and even our most famed and celebrated Christian authors and speakers and, um, and macro voices that God appoints to the church, they will go into their own secret graves in their own secret way and be forgotten in the annals of history. This is just the way of a broken world. It's a sobering but also uh, life-invigorating and really clarifying meditation to think about our, our coming deaths and the way that we will secretly leave this world, but Jesus will meet us there. Mm-hmm. So friends, you know, what do you do when you're not seeing, you know, this big, huge cosmic effect with your life? And maybe you're not seeing tangible results in the way you want with your prayers. You know, what do you do when you're at home with your kids, unthanked, giving another snack? Mm-hmm. What do you do as a single person when you're alone in your home, having a meal by yourself, no one's seeing you? in the workplace, counting numbers, crunching numbers for people's taxes. You know, what do we do with that? We remember that our father sees us. Remember that. Daddy, watch me. Mm -hmm. And your dad sees you and he will reward you. Believe that today. Reward is coming. Shalom, friends. Shalom. Shalom.